We were in the Gospel of Mark last week, and I said we would continue in Mark, but it actually changed my mind. And we're in the Gospel of Luke, and so we'll look at Luke 24, verses 44 through 53. That's the very end of the Gospel of Luke. So this is uh, after Christ has already been raised. And um, in verse uh, 43, it says, these, 44, I'm sorry, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Thus since the reading of... Uh, the inspired word of God. Let us pray. Father, we do pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would uh, speak powerfully to each of us, Lord, that we would understand the meaning of this portion of your word, that we would see it, uh, Lord, in how it reveals Christ to us, the one who was crucified and risen. And ascended on high. We pray that we would uh, know, Lord, what it means for our daily lives and that you would bless us now. We thank you for the power of the Word of God and for the gift of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, Luke, uh, the, the whole chapter, of course, we read the first 12 verses earlier, is, the, is his account, Luke's account, of the resurrection uh, of. The Lord Jesus. And the first thing that happened, as we read earlier, was that the women came to the tomb. They brought spices with them, which they had prepared uh, to further, uh, you know, prepare Jesus' body, which had already been laid in the tomb. And they certainly were not thinking that he was going to be risen. They assumed he would still be dead. And when they got there, the, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, but there were two angels uh, there and they appeared to them and said he's not here he's risen and and so the women left they went to tell the 11 and Luke says well their words were like idle tales they didn't believe them Uh, they didn't believe them but then uh, in verses 13 to 35 which we didn't read today we find the account of Jesus appearing to two disciples as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And they had this lengthy conversation with Jesus. 
and Jesus uh, explained everything from the Old Testament about the Messiah. But they didn't recognize the Lord until they sat down at the table with him and broke bread. Verse 31 says, Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Like the women, these two disciples uh, went back to Jerusalem to tell the eleven what they had seen, what they had experienced, and uh, thankfully, uh, as they were relating their encounter, Jesus appeared among them. He stood in their midst, or else maybe the eleven wouldn't have believed them either. But the initial response of everyone to Jesus appearing uh, was not joy, but uh, they were very afraid. They were terrified, thinking they had seen a ghost, a spirit. And so Jesus showed them his hands and feet, and he even ate some of their food that they had uh, to convince them that he was truly with them bodily, that he wasn't merely a spirit, that his body had been raised and was now alive, and he really was there with them, in person, in the flesh. And so... That's where our passage today uh, begins. After eating a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, Jesus began to explain the meaning of the scriptures concerning himself. And, and the first thing he taught them was that the death, his own death and resurrection, had been necessary uh, for their salvation. He said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you. Uh, these are the things I've been talking about all along to you, that the Son of Man must suffer and die, go to the cross, but that he would be raised from the dead, and that that was also predicted in the Old Testament, that these things uh, had been written about long ago, but now you see that everything I've been telling you has come to pass. Uh, just as I said, here's a great proof, you see, of the reality of his death and resurrection being the fulfillment of prophecies in the Old Testament. The Old Testament predicted Christ's sufferings, his death, even his resurrection, and really what Christ taught those two disciples on the road to Emmaus was that the whole of Scripture was about Jesus, that all of Scripture uh, was about him, his plan of salvation, the fulfillment of that plan through him. And, uh, and so... As we think about, uh, you know, what what the Lord requires of us uh, to be saved, uh, we need to believe the Bible. We need to believe the Word of God. See, Jesus was pointing them to Scripture here uh, to say uh, that Scripture was fulfilled. And the Bible's message uh, it, it says what we need to know about Christ, so that we might. Be saved. But in order to believe the Bible, you, you and I, just like the disciples, need to have our eyes open to understand it. In verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Um, you and I need uh, the regenerating and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to understand uh, the Bible. Uh, we we thank the Lord for human uh, commentaries. They help us. We thank the Lord for sermons. They help us to understand. But there is no commentary uh, like the Holy Spirit revealing 
Scripture and teaching us the Scripture himself as we read it, as we hear it. And the, script, the Holy Spirit does not uh, give us new revelation, but he, he helps us, enables us to understand what he's already revealed in the Bible. So every time uh, we read the Bible, every time we hear a sermon, every time we go to a Bible study, we need to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding uh, that I might know what uh, you have revealed. In verse 46, he says, Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. This is necessity, Jesus says, to my death and resurrection. Uh, and the death, of course, of the Messiah was not something uh, people, at, the Jews at that time, uh, really thought was going to happen, even though it was predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, they were blind to that fact. Uh, and, and in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul said that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So, so the Jews uh, could not fathom a Messiah that would be crucified. Uh, that didn't make sense. The Messiah was the one who was to deliver them. Um, of course, they had a very wrong idea of what the Messiah was coming to deliver them from. Uh, it wasn't sin that they had on their minds, but it was the Roman rule. Uh, just like us today, we want God to, to save our country more than we want him to sometimes to save our souls. Uh, I want both. But the salvation of the soul is why Christ came. Uh, and, and it's no different today. You know, people laugh at the idea of a, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, who died on a Roman cross. What does that have to do with me? They say, that's foolishness. That's, that's the way the Greeks responded. And, um, but Christ is saying to us, to his disciples, that his death was absolutely necessary. It was essential uh, for something. Necessary for what? Well, for the remission of sins, as verse 47 tells us. It was necessary uh, because of sin. Because of your sin. Because of my sin. And... and what does sin do? Well, is that really a problem? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> sin uh, separates you and I from God. Sin is a great offense to God, and sin is something God must punish and judge. He cannot ignore it. And on the cross, Christ suffered God's judgment in our place. We talked about that last week, that he was a substitute uh, that he died in our place. And through the cross, the Bible says, God was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Without the cross, all our sins are imputed to us, and we must pay for them. The wages of sin is death. That's why the cross was absolutely necessary and the resurrection. But the second thing he taught his disciples with these last words is that the gospel must be preached, it must be proclaimed to all the nations. As I said, the only way for you and I to escape judgment, to escape the wrath of God for our sins, is to be forgiven. The only way for our sins to be forgiven, of course, was for Jesus to die and to be raised uh, for our sins. That's the gospel. But the only way for us to know that gospel is for someone to proclaim it to us, to tell it to us. It has to be passed down. It has to be proclaimed. 
And Jesus said, repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It must be heralded. It must be told. It must be proclaimed. Uh, Jesus himself came preaching, didn't he? Uh, John the Baptist before him came preaching. Jesus came preaching uh, the good news when he was on the earth. And in our passage, he's authorizing and indeed commanding the disciples and us, all generations, to preach the good news of salvation to the world. Without the preaching of the gospel, sinners can't hear that gospel, which is the only means of their salvation. So people are not going to be saved without preaching, without witnessing. That's why every generation, including ours, must renew their commitment to the Great Commission. Uh, are you in need of renewing your commitment to the Great Commission? Uh, to being a witness for Christ. And, and verse 47 really is the Great Commission according to Luke. We find the Great Commission in other places. Matthew 28 is the most well-known. But uh, Paul had said in, in one of his epistles that it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You see, that's the, that's the ordained means by which people are saved is the proclamation of the message. Sometimes it's through ordained ministers of the gospel, uh, as it was through the apostles, through through others uh, like Timothy, uh, who was a pastor, a minister, but but today others who are ordained. But it also <clears throat> comes through all believers who are bearing witness. Uh, Jesus said to them, "You are witnesses of these things." And you and I, are, who know Christ personally, who have come to know Him as Savior and Lord. We are the ones that he is now qualifying and commanding uh, to be his witnesses. Uh, and we can go to Acts 1.8. He says, you know, you will be my witnesses, he says, when you receive power from on high. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But notice specifically what is to be preached, that repentance and remission of sins are to be preached. Um, and, of course, we tell them exactly what Jesus had just talked about, the necessity of his death and resurrection. That is the means by which uh, forgiveness comes. But simply knowing that Jesus died for you, it used to be you could walk into any bar late late on a, on a weekend night and find some drunk and say, do you, do you know that, you know, what, what can you tell me about Jesus? And that person would say, well, I know Jesus died for my sins. Everybody knows that. At least, you know, used to. <laughs> not, not so many, not as many uh, today know that. But even in our biblically illiterate age, most people know that Jesus died, supposedly, and rose again. But just knowing that doesn't save you. Um, uh, some, a response is required. Repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins is required. So, so we must tell people, Jesus said... Uh, that that they are to repent of their sins because he died and rose again. Therefore, you repent. Uh, Jesus came, uh, began his earthly ministry by preaching, repent and believe the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so forth. And so what does it mean to repent? It means uh, the literal meaning of the word is to change your mind. They must uh, people must have a change of mind about themselves that they are not good, 
that they are sinful. People must have a change of mind about Christ, that he's not a mere man, but he is the Son of God in flesh. And the fact is, again, repentance is necessary. Why? Because of sin. <laughs> We're sinners. And, and we have uh, gone our own way in sin. Everyone, each of us has gone our own way, Isaiah said. That's what sin is. Um, so to repent is to do what? It's to turn around and to go God's way. It's to turn toward God, toward Christ. And then, of course, the implication. Sometimes in the Bible, uh, repentance is put, is mentioned without faith. Sometimes faith is mentioned without repentance. But they, they always go together. Uh, if you see one, assume the other. You cannot repent without believing if you're going to be saved. Uh, you cannot believe without repenting. Uh, the two are vitally connected. So repent and believe the gospel. And it is to be sorry for your sin and turn to Christ and then to put your trust in the finished work of Christ. And, and so this message is to be preached to all nations. Uh, every nation. You say, well, don't, I, I thought every nation had their own religion. Yeah, they do. That's, their pro, that's, that's another problem they've added to their sin problem. They worship uh, a false god, false gods. They have a false Religion, But he says, interestingly, that the gospel should be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Didn't they already have the truth? Yes, they did. And they rejected the truth when he was incarnate and came among them. And so, but this means, as, as Martin Luther pointed out, that there's no person on earth who is to be excused or accepted, but must confess and acknowledge they are sinners. No one, no one as an excuse, no one is accepted. Everyone must acknowledge that they are sinners. Have you done that? That's the first step in repentance is to is to say to God and, and to own it yourself, I am a filthy sinner who needs to be cleansed. I am a wretched sinner who is lost in sin, who needs to be saved. Uh, and he says, start in Jerusalem. Well, that was the holy city. That's the place where the temple was, the priesthood was. The Pharisees, who were supposedly so holy, uh, were there. And, and the Jews themselves were God's people. But they, like the Gentiles, and Paul makes this case in Romans, the first three chapters particularly, that the Jews, just like the Gentiles, were also sinners. They didn't see, many of them did not see themselves as sinners. They thought they were righteous simply because God had chosen them and called them to be his people. But they needed to repent. Uh, that's why John the Baptist came, preaching to prepare the way of the Lord. And he says, you repent. And he was preaching to Jews. And, um, and there's no other remedy. You see, they need to know that, that the remedy for sin was not in the temple, but in what the temple pointed to. To Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So you and I, we must not only repent of sin, like the Jews, we're going to have to repent of something else. You say, what else is there? We need to repent of our self-righteousness. Uh, the greatest sin of all is to think that, that we have done something to merit the favor or salvation of God. 
Um, so we need to repent of our self-righteousness and admit that there is nothing good, not just that I'm not perfect and that I've done a few bad things occasionally, uh, but that there is no good in me at all, that there is only sin in my heart apart from his grace. You see, that's why we need Christ. You see, Christ came to save us, else we would have been lost forever, else we would have drowned uh, in sin, uh, else we would have gone to eternal punishment. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Christ, he says, good teacher, and he says, wait a minute, there's no one, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God, unless you're ready to call me God. There's none good, none. We're all sinful, through and through. That's why we need Christ. That's why his death was necessary. That's why we need to repent. And so today, in the name of Jesus Christ, I proclaim the good news to you. You've probably heard it before. That's okay. Today, in his name, I urge you to repent, to turn from your sins, to come to Christ. And today, I I proclaim to you that if you do turn, if you do believe in Christ and receive him as your Lord, that your sins will be forgiven. Every one of them. And they will not be counted against you. And God will not change his mind once he's forgiven you of all your sins. He will not remember them anymore. Today, if you repent and believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. To quote Luther again, he says, For the one who does not, I'm sorry, for the one who does this, who repents and believes, despairing of all his life and deeds, despairing of his own righteousness, you see. There comes then the second part, which is remission of sins. Repentance is saying, woe is me, I'm undone. Woe is me, even my good deeds are sin. Even my good deeds are like filthy rags. But I come to Christ. Do you want forgiveness? Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. One last quote from Luther. He said, without Christ, there is no forgiveness. But in Christ, there is nothing but forgiveness. There's a boatload of forgiveness for you. There is far more forgiveness than, than, you, than your sin. Uh, and, and so whatever you say, I'm too bad. I've done too, too many sins. No, there's more grace. It's grace and forgiveness are greater than all our sin. Well, these things are be preached, you see, and preached in his name. In his name. The Bible says there's no other name given among men under heaven uh, by which we must be saved. And the, and the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So preached in his name. Forgiveness is a gift. Salvation is free. It's all of grace, but you and I must receive it. We must respond. We must turn from our sin and, and receive Christ. And when we do, we'll be forgiven. And a lot of people think, well, that's all I need is, is the fire insurance. I get, I get saved. I get forgiven. And, and that's, that's, that's it. That's what salvation means. But no, that's just the beginning. You see, immediately you're also given a new life. Uh, you're given a new calling in life. The Bible says that he died for all, 
so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we have a new calling to live for Christ, to know him, and then to make him known. You will become his witness. Uh, and, and you say, well, I, I'm just not able to do that. I don't know what to say. I'm too fearful. But remember, when Jesus appeared to them in this account, what were they? They were fearful. And so uh, that's where verse 49 comes in. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Uh, so, like the disciples, uh, we're fearful. We uh, realize our inability, but our inability is overcome by the power of the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Guy Waters remarked that up until this point, it seemed that Jesus has set his church up to fail. How did Christ's own life end? He was put to death. He told his disciples the world hated him and it would hate them also. So what possible success could they expect? None, except Jesus says, I'm sending the promise of my Father. The same question could be asked of us today. What what success could we possibly hope to have in in this age, in this unbelieving age, when more and more people are departing from the faith, leaving the church, and and worshiping um, themselves, worshiping sex, worshiping uh, the, the things of this world. What success can we expect to have? Uh, when we preach repentance to, to a uh, world that loves sin and, and is going to laugh in our face, uh, what success can we expect when we proclaim an unpopular message? You see, Christianity is today not only uh, is it not tolerated, but Christianity, the Christian faith, now is, in the eyes of the world, an evil thing. Uh, so you have to understand what we face. Uh, and, and the only way we can succeed at all is that if the Lord induces us with power from on high. The power of the Holy Spirit, you see, changes everything. Uh, it doesn't matter what we face, because the power of God is greater uh, than all that we face. And, and, and the first thing is that he changes us. He gives us the boldness and the courage. We look at uh, those disciples who were fearful, but after Pentecost, they were bold. And Peter denied the Lord three times, but after the Holy Spirit came, uh, he preached a fearless uh, message to all the Jews. And so second, the Spirit of God gives us Opportunities. He opens doors for the gospel. And third, he opens hearts and makes them receptive to the gospel. Uh, just as he did with you and, and with me, he inclines us uh, and inclines others who had rebellious hearts before uh, to make them receptive to the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit, of course, came on Pentecost. And, and the, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, has already come then uh, and has given us his power. It's already been poured out on the church. We don't have to wait for him to come. And yet there is a sense in which we do have to wait upon him in prayer and say, Lord, you have come at Pentecost. You have given us the Spirit. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, may we in this generation experience anew that same power that your early church experienced on that day of Pentecost.
Last in our passage, verses 50 to 53, we see that the risen Christ blessed the disciples as he was ascending into heaven. So the risen Christ we see now, uh, he leads them out, verse 50, as far as Bethany, and he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. It's been 40 days since the resurrection, that 40-day period. Off and on, Jesus was meeting with them and, and teaching them about the kingdom. And the Lord led them out to Bethany. It was on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And, and the ascension, you see, took place somewhere on this hill. And before he ascended, his last act on earth was to bless them. To bless them. Uh, you know, the world, when Adam sinned, the world was placed under a curse. But when Jesus died on the cross, Galatians says that he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So Christ came into this world to remove the curse so that he might replace it with blessing. That's the opposite of the curse. It's the blessing. Uh, he came to bless those that the Father had given to him, to bless those that he died for, to bless those who would believe. And so Jesus is our great high priest. We can imagine him. He's standing on that hill on the Mount of Olives, the resurrected Christ, and he lifts up his hands like Aaron the high priest did to bless the people of God. And he blesses them. And Matthew Henry comments that the, he blessed them as Jacob blessed his sons. The apostles were now as representatives of the, uh, of the twelve tribes, so that in blessing them, he blessed all his spiritual Israel. That's us. That's the church. And he put his Father's name upon them. Think of the hands that Christ raised. They were nail-pierced hands. They're the, they're the saving hands. They're the hands that in his earthly ministry he had used to bless people wherever he went. His hands multiplied the loaves and the fishes. With his hands he healed the sight of the blind. With his hands he, he laid his hands on the leper and he was healed. And he, and he put his hands on the heads of little children and blessed them. And he said, let the children, little children come to me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And so he blesses now the disciples in his last act before leaving them, as he was leaving them, continuing to do as he had always done. And that blessing is meant for you and for me this morning. And that blessing is for all who call on the Lord in humble faith and are willing to receive it. And every Lord's Day at the end of the service, there's a blessing, a benediction pronounced by the minister in Christ's name. It is Christ's blessing to you. It's not a perfunctory ending to the, to the service. It is Christ wanting to bless you through his word, wanting to remind you that he has pronounced this blessing on his people as he ascended, and he is still doing that today. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing that there is. And including in that blessing are many things. Justification, forgiveness, adoption, sanctification, the gift of the Spirit, continual fellowship with Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, and there's the blessing of the incorruptible inheritance and eternal life. 
that he gives to everyone who believes. And this, this blessing cannot be earned. It's simply received. Um, it's simply received. And so if Christ has blessed you with salvation, what will he do? He will say on the last day, we'll hear these words. Blessed, come you blessed, come you blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If Christ has blessed you, you'll be blessed for all eternity. Nothing can take that blessing away. And, and while he was blessing them, he was visibly, bodily carried up into heaven in a cloud out of their sight. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, where heaven is or where the right hand of God is, but his body has, it does occupy space in a particular place right now. We can be certain of that. And what was their response to this? Did they say, oh no, Jesus left us like he told us that and we were all sad about that and we're so sad that he's left just like he said he was going to do. No, no. It says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Uh, and, and, and so whatever view they had of Christ on earth, they had uh, certainly, a, a, there was a mixture they didn't fully comprehend. At, at times they seemed to see and understand who he was. But now they knew he was divine. They worshipped him as God. They, they would not have offered him worship if they didn't believe him to be divine. You see, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. And uh, you and I can be sad about many things, and that's okay. There's a time to grieve. There's a time to be sad. Uh, but Christ is risen. And, and, and so that, like these early disciples, uh, when we leave this service, we're not returning to Jerusalem. But we're returning to where it is, wherever it is we live. Uh, we need to return to our places with great joy. Despite all the hardships that you're going to face and I'm going to face in the coming days, we can do so with joy knowing that Jesus Christ has risen, that he's ascended, and that his blessing remains upon us. After he ascended, Luke says they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. What's the response when God blesses you? To bless him back. That means to praise him. We bless him in praise, continual praise. And, and so they went to the temple. At that time, it was the appointed place of worship, just like the, the household of God. On the Lord's day, that's the appointed place of worship. Do you want to praise God? Do you, do you desire to bless God? Then be here in the Lord's service on the Lord's day. But they were in the temple, but soon they, they would leave the temple and would not be worshiping there any longer uh, they would begin maybe as as paul did to go to the synagogue went the gospel to the synagogue and some of them maybe continued there but eventually uh, the synagogues rejected the christians and so they worshiped wherever two or more were gathered in his name in houses and fields and wherever uh, beside the river beside the ocean wherever two or more were in gathered in his name He's in their midst. The risen Christ is in our midst today. And so we worship him. Uh, Jesus is risen. So let's praise him. Let's, let's begin to praise him. And let's keep on praising him. And, and let's never stop praising him. Let's praise him continually. 
live a life of worship and praise. But that worship and praise needs to flow over into witness. Worship always leads to witness. Go back to Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and then he gave them the Great Commission. Uh, worship follows and flows out. I mean, witness follows and flows out of worship. Those who live a life of continual worship, whether it's on the Lord's Day and with the church or in homes, in families, or in private, cannot help. If you're really worshiping, you will not be able to help but be a witness of him continually. You know, the, the, the final hymn we're about to sing, and I'll close with these words, uh, says, Rise, O church, and lift your voices. Christ has conquered death and hell. Sing as all the earth rejoices. Resurrection anthems swell. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ the risen King. That's the response. If Christ is risen, worship Him and then go out and witness of Him. Let's take our uh, hymnals. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but we'll be turning to 286. Father, would you... Take my feeble words and take, Lord, your word and uh, wing it to our hearts. Make it effectual. Uh, Lord, make us believing. Give us repentance and make us worshipers. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn 286, Worship Christ, the Risen King.